0: Welcome to the STI podcast. My name's Graham Hart. I'm from the UCL Center for Sexual Health and HIV Research, and I'm on the STI editorial board. I'm delighted today to be able to uh, introduce Dr. Stefan Barrell from the Center for Public Health and Human Rights at John Hopkins School of Public Health in the U.S. And uh, Stefan is the senior author on uh, a very interesting paper on bisexual concurrency, bisexual partnerships, and HIV among Southern African men who have sex with men, MSM. Uh, Welcome today, uh, Dr. Barrel.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, we have a few questions about the the study, which uh, I should say is a very well-conducted and uh, a very interesting piece of work. Um, uh, The focus of the paper is bisexual concurrency in men in Southern Africa, that is, men with both male and female partners. Uh, The focus of much previous work has been on heterosexual concurrency. At a population level, why do you think that Bisexual concurrency is an important dimension of epidemics in that part of the world.
1: So there's a few different things that we've been exploring uh, in our studies, looking at HIV risks among MSM in Africa. What people feel and what we've heard anecdotally from policymakers is that the epidemic among MSM, if there are any MSM in in these countries, um, as policymakers generally feel that there is no gay men or other MSM in their country, uh, if they are, these are closed-off epidemics that don't really affect, uh, you know, epidemic in the general population. And you know, some of the work that we've been doing when we initially started doing some formative work around this, we realized that, indeed, there is really a significant amount of, of bridging um, between epidemics among MSM as well as the, the generalized uh, epidemic among in the population. And indeed, there's been some studies that have come out of Kenya and now out of Senegal to show that really the the circulating strains of HIV are really the same among MSM as they are um, in the general population. And so what we want to start doing is to start enumerating some, uh, developing some understanding of where that overlap between the general population uh, epidemic as well as that epidemic among MSM. What we're trying to get out there is to say, listen, that there's a whole other dimension to this and a whole other dimension to the need for prevention programs targeting, um, you know, men who have sex with men who have bisexual concurrent partnerships. In speaking to a lot of these men, you know, they really, because of the pressures that are put upon them, to have children and to, you know, generate and provide economics for society, what ends up happening is that, you know, they really want to be heterosexual and they want to try to explore heterosexual partnerships in a way that hoping that that's really going to satisfy them, not really willing to accept that they continue to have attraction towards other men. And, And really, there's a lot of internalized homophobia. There's a lot of internalized stigma. And that's something that a lot of men are really working through in the region.
0: That's an interesting point about the heteronormative uh, element and you implied their sort of invisibility in policy terms, but for for them there must also be issues of of stigma, surely a challenge in relation to to the study. How did you recruit the men and what did the research involve for them?
1: This work has been incredibly complicated since we started it um, about five, six years ago there really have been a series of a resurgence of the enforcement of laws criminalizing same-sex. And that, at the end of the day, is is one of our biggest issues that makes this work incredibly complicated. And we work tremendously hard in accruing men in a way that was safe for them. What we've done um, is really work hard to develop trusting relationships with communities that serve um, LGBT communities and really empower them to be the leads on the research. We trained members of the community to be able to go out and and administer the surveys and also work towards administering with a a sensitized health practitioner to administer the HIV kits and provide pre-test counseling as well as providing referrals to appropriate VCT centers.
0: So in terms of the prevalence of HIV then, you found an an overall prevalence of 17.4%. How does that compare with the, um, uh, the population prevalence, the more generalized uh, population prevalence in these countries?
1: Sure. So I, I think that's a really great question, and I think that um, to some extent the answer is going to be that we don't really know. And, you know, the majority of surveillance that's done by UNAIDS uh, under the second-generation HIV surveillance mechanism still uses antenatal clinics as their base. And therefore, a lot of the the testing that happens, happens among young women. And, and, you know, there's a series of different modeling strategies that are used to really then get out what are the general population prevalence. And those then are are age standardized for being among reproductive ages of 15 to 49. Now, if you look at the majority of studies that have come out among MSM in Africa, the reality is that, you know, we're really able to access 18 to 24-year-olds If you age-standardize HIV prevalence rates among the men that we recruited as compared to the general population of men in that age group, there's a significant difference. And actually, when you tease out the the prevalence among men, uh, just even all reproductive-age men um, from 15 to 49, uh, you'll also see a significant difference in terms of heightened risk. The last element is really the fact that when we stratified our own results and looked at men, you know, between the ages of 30 to 49, about, you know, 45 to 50% were HIV positive. And so, you know, if we we find a way of really, you know, being able to access those more hidden networks of older men that have more closed sexual and social networks, I think that, you know, we're going to continue seeing this really, unfortunately, high levels of risk and high levels of, of HIV prevalence as well.
0: That uh, uh, point about uh, age is, is really rather important, given the, the, the ha- a very high prevalence then in a, in a very young age group compared to, for example, MSM in Europe or Australia or the, or the U.S. Uh, these are very high rates, are they not?
1: That's right. Well, I mean, I think that this is really what we're starting to see. I mean, a, a pop council did a study in Kenya... And even assessing the men at 18 years of age, 17% were already positive. You know, as I think we're starting to get a stronger hold on the general population prevalence, and we're starting to see in countries like South Africa and Uganda and Kenya declines in both incidence and prevalence, you know, we're really seeing that we haven't made much headway in these really specific populations. And in fact, the more that we continue to explore these issues, really the higher levels of risk we're seeing.
0: Well, you found that uh, over half the men were bisexually active. So could you say something about the differences between those men who were um, exclusively MSM and those who were behaviorally bisexual?
1: You know, there's a, there's a new generation of African MSM that are actually starting to reject the term and really are starting to take on more of a gay identity you know, there's a little bit more space for them to express themselves. They've realized that there's really a lot of other men that, you know, share similar feelings, and there's really been a a significant component of community building that's happened. And in so doing, you know, there's a younger group of men that are more willing to express themselves and more willing to live, you know, exclusively homosexual lives, you know, and being out and being proud of their sexuality. So I think that that space also facilitates them receiving, you know, targeted and appropriate health care, which decreases levels of risk overall.
0: Well, this is a related question in a way. You're working in Malawi, Botswana, and Namibia. And in Malawi, uh, there were particularly high rates of bisexual concurrency at at over 25 percent, whereas in Namibia, uh, only 10 percent of men reported this. Why, Why are those differences there, do you think?
1: Well, so, I mean, I think that to some extent this speaks about cultural and 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 differences between these countries. Uh in Namibia there's a lot more space uh to live ex- as an exclusively gay man than there is in Malawi. And that's, you know, I mean that this was before the recent arrest and a lot of the recent events. This has been the case for a few years now. In uh Botswana there's this much less violence targeting gay communities. And much less violent rhetoric targeting gay communities than there is in in Malawi. Now in Malawi, the reality is is that you know this is a this is a place where it's it's, it's outright dangerous to come out as being gay or or even you know, even stating that you have sex with other men. And so to some extent, there's a there's a lot more hidden communities, and that ends up resulting in people having I don't know if it's it's a causal relationship, but it ends up people having you know female partners as leads. You know, people want to please their families, and taking on a female partner and having children is the best way of doing that.
0: So, what are the next steps for your research group in terms of uh, uh, future research projects in this area?
1: Well, I think that the you know the the need that we've shown through a series of this project and a series of other projects, and some that we're presenting in Vienna now, is is really we focused on on demonstrating need. You know, and so. You know, we wanted to show prevalence, we wanted to show incidents uh, where possible. And I think that we, in the places where we've done that, we've achieved that and we really need to move on. You know, these men now, you know, rightfully so, have taken part in research studies, uh, developing strategic information, and now they want service provision. The risk for MSM is really multimodal. You know, there's individual level risk factors, there's network, sexual network and social network and community level and public policy. And we really feel that in order to be functional we really need to address each of those levels of risk. So the bisexual concurrency is one element of that. And, and, you know, one way of doing that in in not such a complicated manner is really integrating bisexual concurrency as one of the targets around the One Love programs that focus on, on concurrency. And so, you know, but realistically, partner reduction is not our... I mean, it's it's a component of what it is that we're doing, but right now our biggest focus is really on increasing condom use and increasing lubricant use uh, between men. And, I mean, realistically, a lot of these men still believe that HIV lives in the vagina. They really, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, after studies like this, you know, I think that the initial thought was that we started getting from some policymakers was really around blaming men, you know, that they're now infecting our women. That's the only reason we should, you know, take care or provide any services is because of the risk for women but realistically it's it's very difficult to blame a man when they've never been provided any education in and around risks related to practices i mean it's a different story in new york and toronto and and london where we're still having a very difficult time you know getting uptake of services but in these settings there are there are if there are services they're very limited and there's really a significant risk with seeking those services for being identified such as what happened in, in Mombasa with the Kemri group, um, where people, service provision had been going for a long time, and eventually a mob was formed and, and people were attacked and, and, and hurt. And so, you know, we really need to look at, you know, understanding what are the individual level risk factors, how can we get condoms to men and teach them about the need to use them, and lubricants, and so that, you know, we're not preventing men from having sex, we just really want them to have safe sex the other issues are you know looking at you know higher order risk factors and so focusing on community level risk factors and really looking to engage the media and provide education in and around these issues um which has been done successfully in Senegal i have to say that you know there was a media training that was part of the horizons program in 2004 and when you follow, we did a media analysis as part of our assessment after the men were arrested in 2008, and, the, men and the, the journalists that had received the training were still reporting positively around these issues. So there's a real need to engage the media. There's a real need to engage religious leaders, traditional leaders, uh, and looking at changing social norms at t- so to decrease the levels of stigma and, and therefore increase the level of community building and, and safe space for people to seek services. And so we appreciate the fact that, you know, handing out condoms and lubricants is not enough. We really need to take a comprehensive approach to this.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Barrell, for speaking to us today. And, And thanks to you and your colleagues for submitting this fascinating and important paper to sexually transmitted infections. We're delighted to be able to publish it.
1: Well, thank you. And and we always appreciate the opportunity to speak about these issues. And and realistically, we're not saying, we're not trying to come out and say that this is a a major part and we should really be reshifting the focus of all programs. But to avoid most at-risk populations with a focus on MSM is a mistake. And it's a mistake not only because of the human rights of the men themselves, but also in terms of comprehensively addressing the HIV epidemic. So we we appreciate the opportunity to speak about these issues. and, And And I'm always happy to take emails from from your listeners uh, in order to explore these issues further.
0: Thank you very much.